Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Sally Gerke, a potter and muralist from Bettendorf, who will be displaying her work at the upcoming Riversounds Festival this weekend. Welcome, Sally. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> you work with three major types of clay, earthenware, stoneware, and porcelain. H- how do these materials vary from one another? Well, first of all, it's it's kind of interesting because when I start, I think about, well, my studio, the cleanup is major between these three clay bodies. And so I try and start with stoneware, which is not as messy. And then I move to um, earthenware, which is red terracotta, and that's very messy. Then I clean up the whole area and go to porcelain, which is a white translucent um, high-fired clay body. And, you know, you really do not want any of these other um, imperfections in in your porcelain clay. So that's how I work. And I move from one clay body. It's like a kind of like a a weekly sort of thing. I do stoneware for a while, and then, you know, when I get kind of tired of that, then I move to red earthenware, which is the colorful, and that's kind of like a relief for me, and it's very fluid, and you can mold it very easily and do a lot of hand building. And then I clean it all up and go to pure white. Uh-huh. And they and the clay varies from one one form to the other in terms of the the mineral content and then other ingredients within the clay and the temperature and um, so I I I'm interested the first time I even touched clay it was with stoneware and so I was influenced when I was only eighteen in high school and and um, I was just learning how to handle the material. And Carl Christensen, who taught at the Davenport Art Museum at the old location up on the hill, he he was very instrumental in teaching lots of students around. A lot of people in the Quad Cities have taken classes, mostly the um, older generation because he's since passed away. And while I was taking lessons from him, it, actually it wasn't. It was a return for me making clay for him and then he was showing me how to throw on the wheel. Oh, that's that's quite uh, a pairing really and you were in in essence an apprentice for him. That's then. that's correct. I didn't even really realize what an apprentice could be and many potters around the United States and the world have apprentice and they're actually pretty hard to um get in to be an apprentice for some people that are real prominent artist but yeah but he was he was so great he was really fun and everyone enjoyed him 
And so I would just spend a lot of time over there helping him. And never did I realize it was going to be anything that I went into, but... (laughs) But life unfolds in sometimes mysterious ways and ways that we don't that we don't expect. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So besides the the earthenware, stoneware, porcelain, and again they they vary by by clay by the the temperatures that you use to. That's correct. To right to fire these in, um, and the stoneware is more for like cooking and baking. Is or that correct, yeah, or? you can use it. You know, people use it for sculpture, and I make my own clay. I also purchase clay. But I make my own clay because um, when I was becoming interested, I studied with Ruth Duckworth, who's in Chicago, and she had this clay body that was perfect for exterior buildings, and um, it was great for for weather issues and all sorts of temperature changes, especially in the Midwest. So I was in, I I little did I know that she was like just this amazing person. I was just interested in learning from her because I liked the idea that she was doing murals. And at that time, I was raising three children, and I thought this was a way that I could use my um, skills in the schools. And so I have quite a few murals around town in schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've um, you've had a long career. You've been making pottery since the 70s, uh, I, I suppose we should we should say. And, and over that time, your work has evolved. And, and besides these, these, uh, these you, you know, your pottery where, um, where they're, they're, they're forms that are very utilitarian, you, you, you have created quite a few large scale, scale ceramic murals for schools. Mm-hmm. And then you've had some sculptural uh, installations as well. That's right. And, and it just keeps me interested. So then when I got a little tired of this temperature that we fire stoneware to was, um, to answer your question, is a high-fired stoneware clay that is fired to 2,300 degrees, and it takes quite a while to fire your pieces. Mm-hmm. And though, so then earthenware is fired quite a bit lower and it's very porous. So how do you make it impervious to liquids then? Is, is that what the glaze does or how does, how does well, that Well, there's very, very different ways you can do it. Glazes essentially are, um, make things that are, you know, you fluid will not be um, invading the clay body. But, but what I do is I use this terra sigillata and it's type of clay base and it's like a waxy kind of surface and that's what I use for um, the bottom of all my terracotta myalica pieces. Mm-hmm. And so, that's a, now that's a, you'd mentioned myalica that's a separate type of pottery. What what is that exactly? Well, it's a, it's it's really it's used on earthenware. So. So you'd see it all. You'd see it in Italy, and you'd see it in France, and and in Mexico, and and actually you can dig your own clays. So earthenware is like when I was in Arizona at an artisan residence, I actually dug my own clay and brought it home and fired it, and it was like red terracotta. So it, oh, that sounds that sounds beautiful. But, <laughs> well, it had a lot of impurities in it, but you know, still, it was fun to do. And people, there's many potters that dig their own clay, and they would prefer the natural colors. Mm-hmm. And I, I myself prefer the, those kind of rustic, earthy tones. 
but this my my alica is is quite different because it's 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 covered with a white glaze, so it's just very distinct. And my alica basically is just a a technique that you use for glazing. It's a glazing technique, and it's um, a tin glaze. It has tin in it, and it's a white opaque surface that you put onto the earthenware and then you use your colorants and your oxides to create the colors. Mm-hmm. And you had said um, to me earlier that mm-hmm. that you're really drawn to this now because you paint on top of it. It's like painting a watercolor in essence on your on your clay pieces. And that brings me, you know, that's when I go and when I um, am part of these artists and residencies, I you know, can't obviously take a 50-pound box of clay or lots of clay into these cabins where they, um, some of them are historical cabins in these national parks. Mm-hmm. And we should say the artisan, you've done quite a few of these artisan residency programs, and they have been primarily through national parks in the United States. Yes, and the national parks, they have, I think there's like 22 different parks around the United States that offer artisan residency programs and it's not only for it's not only for um, people that are visual artists you could be a writer and you can be a musician and so you can apply you could be a yoga instructor and, and apply it just depends on the jury what they're looking for at that time. Mm-hmm. And you were in, I think, Aspen, Colorado. You said when you learned this, and was that was that a residency pro, uh, 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 situation, or was that uh, that's just, a teaching. that was just a workshop? Or, uh-huh. mm-hmm. There's a an art center called Anderson Ranch, and it's in um, right outside of Aspen, where my daughter, my youngest daughter, teaches school. So I thought, well, this would be fun. I'd go and teach. Um, you know, while she's there, so I could see her, and at the same time, I'd be part of this art center, and that's what I've taught there about, I don't know, I think five or six summers mm-hmm. Yeah, with children, which is nice, because I enjoy teaching children. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I love the surfaces <laughs> of your pieces. They're, they're often embellished in a variety of ways, and they're very textural. So how, how do you create an interesting surface appearance? Well, actually, that's what Part of my artist statements, um, if you would, if you read um, some of my artist statements, it's interesting because I am very influenced by nature and my natural surroundings, and my studio is in our, in a natural surrounding. So I, you know, I actually get ideas through my imagination and through uh, the internet is a wonderful thing for artists too. I look at a lot of people, um, a lot of their work, other ceramicists, and I keep up with what they're doing and people that I've taken workshops with and things. I'm kind of like, I am Mm self-taught, so I read a bunch, but now, you know, I use the internet as a tool, too, to... Mm -hmm. So and all my texture is inspired from experience and, and traveling and and one the purpose for me to go on an artisan residence is to get new ideas and yeah well that's that sounds mm-hmm. um, that's really perfect uh, there are these essential elements you know of nature that uh, are all part of working with clay mm-hmm. you know the earth the um, water air so um, and and 
clearly where, where you where you work itself is surrounded by nature. But That's let's talk right. let's talk about that because you had this absolutely uh, amazing, very unique studio to say the least. It's it's a pretty different um, studio when when I was um, first realizing that I was needing a bigger space. I used to work in this teeny little like closet area in our basement when the kids were growing up and I wanted to be, I was teaching as a substitute in the schools and at night after the kids would be asleep, then I'd spend a lot of time in this little room. And finally things just started growing and growing and and I was doing, um, getting more orders and getting into these murals and and so finally I decided, you know what, I'm just going to save up so that I can have a whole full studio. And then I researched it, very expensive to build something. A freestanding studio. A freestanding, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful, like I had seen all over the United States, Real, really great studios. But I decided, well, I am, I'm going to figure this out. And I was in Colorado teaching and someone had a, a yurt. It's a Mongolian shelter. It's kind of like a canvas circular building, and they were using it as their studio. And so I came home and researched and figured out how we could order um, a yurt. A yurt. Mm-hmm. And so we built a platform in our ravine behind our house, and it's a 24-foot diameter yurt, and it's got a a deck around it, and it's very, it's wonderful. Every day I go out there, I'm thinking, thanking my lucky stars I have this year <laughs> to work in. So there hasn't ever been a day where I felt like, you know, it's kind of like a relief to go out there. Mm-hmm. You're removed, and you're just going to work on anything that you would really like to work on, whether it be watercolors, lino cuts, and then, of course, my clay. For people who who might like to see your yurt in person, you you will be having an open house sometime later this fall, poss- possibly in October. Yeah, we haven't set a date yet, but um, I usually do. Um, well, I've just started doing these in the last two years and having people come to my yurt and see how I work and view some work. And then my partner, who I've worked with for thirty years, he has his um, work and his forms in my like in our area it probably he'll be upset he he doesn't like it in the garage I don't think but he sets up outside if it's a beautiful day and then in conjunction with another potter in town she has a studio in a barn and usually we do it all together and so people can go back and forth and we have food and and wine and drinks and things it's fun yeah so that'll be on your Facebook page possibly yes Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll try to provide a link uh, for that. And you'd mentioned your partner. I, I, I guess instead of a partner in crime, it's a partner in clay. This is someone that you just have an artistic relationship and have worked with for many years and share a kiln with. Uh-huh. We used to have a shop, too, on Harrison Street together. And, and his Jim, name is Jim, Jim Cronk. And he is also at all these art fairs at Beaux-Arts and Riversance, and he'll be at Riversance. And... I mean, there's a number of potters that I've been, um, that I've known forever that also will be at Riversance. And one lives out on the prairie, and he brings his work in. 
And so it's pretty fun. It's because we're all in our studios working alone, mostly, all the time. So when we go to these art fairs, it's a fun thing for us because we get to see each other and, and look at each other's work and yeah. Well, let's let's uh, actually talk about the upcoming Riversons Festival of Fine Arts. And that's organized by Midcoast Fine Arts. And it, it really has become the premier fine arts festival um, in the Quad Cities. How, how would you describe it for someone who perhaps hasn't gone there before? Well, when I'm at other um, venues, um, people ask me about fairs. And, and Beaux-Arts and Riversons are both great fairs. And so I've done these forever for 30 years or so. So, I mean, naturally, I I love the Figgy um, Art Gallery because my husband is very involved there. And we've all grown up with with the Davenport Art Museum. So I this year, I won't, I'm not going to be doing Beaux-Arts just because of a different thing I have to do. And then um, Riversance is a fun fair. It's right on the bluff overlooking the Mississippi. It's in East Davenport. And um, it was started by artists who actually wanted to start their own art fair. And so I think it's in there. The thirtieth year, thirty first is what their website said. So that's oh, that's just so that's fantastic. how many I've probably <laughs> I've missed a couple because of weddings and other family things. But it's really fun to do because they have music and food and and if you're lucky, it's a great day out. And right. we've been there with tents set up behind our with our kids shivering in the snow. So you never know what type of weather you're going to get. <laughs> and that's um, that's coming up um, this coming weekend, Saturday, September 15th and 16th. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm going to kind of circle back so people have a, a better idea, again, of what you do besides these, these uh, you know, your, your functional pieces. Um, you've done quite a few mural installations, and, and the schools really have benefited from that. Your, your most spectacular one is at Neil Armstrong School in Bentonor. That's, well, I, that's one of my favorites. I, I actually like, I like every one of them. They all have a different type of feel to them. And when I, my first mural was in my, um, an office, and I was pregnant with my oldest daughter in 1980 or something I don't know when it was 1980 I can't remember but yeah that'd be right and we installed that ourselves my husband and I and I was just an experimental um type of work and then you know I started getting um commissions to do these with students which was just perfect because that's what I wanted to do is work with kids and so it went from Mark Twain School, which is the one, and, and Armstrong was the amazing one, Armstrong School, because they actually created a space, a circular space surface for me to work with students to um, put this mural up. And it was, it was so much fun. But it took me about six months, and they were really fun to work with all the teachers and the staff. And, and this is a large circular, like, inset around a skylight, so you look up and see it. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's, um, I think it's 265 feet, or no, 65 square feet, but in, or 65 feet around, 
265 square feet. I It's yeah, big. So massive. It's huge. Uh-huh. And that's in Bettendorf, <laughs> but in uh, Davenport, at, you did a mural at McKinley, and then also across the river in Moline, at Francis Willard Elementary. Oh, uh, that you, was so interesting. That was fun, because I... The art teacher there asked me to just come and work with the kids and show them how to do. Um, they were going to each do their individual face on tiles, and then we were going to put these tiles up so it would be a whole collage of the school faces. And the first day I went in there, these kids, they were from all over the place, and I think um, they were from 19 different countries and so they were, you know, we had people interpreting. Some of them could barely speak English, which I thought was so great. It was really a diverse situation, and it was fun teaching there and putting up the mural, and the kids really appreciated. Mm-hmm. It, it all sounds so much fun, and, you know, creating, um, create, making your clay and working in, in the yurt and all these collaborative um, it's a projects. It does. It's, well, it sounds very magical when you're hearing about it, but I know that it actually is quite hard work. And and tell us about firing your large kiln. How long it takes and what that entire process is like, because because this does involve quite a lot of, of sweat and hard work. Well, my partner Jim Cronk has a. We have a kiln that's in his family, an outbuilding in his family lot over by. North Park, and the kiln is, actually, we can stand in it almost. It's a downdraft kiln, and if you're a potter, you know what that means. And um, it's we built it with bricks, soft brick, and it's actually pretty huge, so it takes us a long time to make enough pots to, to um, fill it. And we fire about once every two months, so what it entails is glazing all the the pieces that we fired and then and they've already been fired in um, electric kilns before and then we get it all over there we glaze it in all the various glazes that we've made which is a lot of work and then we've tested the glazes to see because you don't want to glaze your whole body of work and then have it be a dud you know so you and you have these smaller test kilns just for that purpose well we some some of us have kilns that are in our houses that we test glazes that we've formulated or we've used from books or different recipes and and so then this firing starts around two in the morning and one of us has to start it and turn it up every hour and look inside the kiln and look at the atmosphere, which is very important, through the spy holes after we bricked it up. and Wait, so there's these little holes, these like little, we call them spy holes. Yeah. <laughs> and you peek inside and you can tell how, what? What can you tell? By well, it's, in, yeah, it's those, amazing. Those First, spaces. you don't see anything but black. Then as the temperature rises, as you're turning up your kiln, the gas and the air, you're manually adjusting these in this kiln. And as you're um, looking through the spy hole, you see a dull color, which actually is, um, you know, a certain, a certain temperature. So, you know, a lot of potters around, they fire just by looking in the kiln. So, but we have these cones that bend at certain temperatures. So they're, they're these little um, ceramic, 
I can't. They and look you, like little sticks. You or said pencils. cones. Cones. Mm-hmm. And and they're made of the same material as the, the as, as the as temperature what, as what you're firing. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Is the the clay body that you're hoping to fire to the temperature that you want to fire to because these tip at a, when you reach. 1800 degrees they tip at 2300 which is the the temperature we fire our kiln to so so that's so just to go again go back again you you look through a spy hole you look at these cones when they start to tip then you can tell you're at the correct temperature so you have a more clear idea that you are firing to your, the your larger temperature pieces correctly huh but then there's all other components to this i mean if you're firing for um, an electric kiln and you go to 2,300 degrees, your clay body looks completely different. It looks like if you were looking around the art fair at Riversons, you'd see how people's work looks different. Well, it's different ways of firing. So the way we fire our kiln is a reduction fire and we starve the kiln of oxygen at a certain point in the firing. And then you know, we work with all sorts of atmospheres in the kiln to get what we're looking for. Well, it sounds like there's a huge potential for air, you know, between judging the correct temperature of the kiln and then deciding how long things should remain inside. Yeah. And you've had to throw <laughs> out something. It's much of a science. Oh, yeah. Everybody, when you open up the kiln, it's so fun. It's like Christmas and and you see all sorts of things that you thought were going to be trashy and they're um, unbelievably beautiful so you never know what the that's what the magic is with our kiln and you can learn from your your mistakes too in a way that's mistakes are the best Uh way even though it's a heartbreak but now now besides the upcoming rivers on festival people can also view your work in some other local places that's right Uh so um you sell, and I know you prefer some, prefer in a way the festivals, um, and some of those are here, some are in Muscatine or in Iowa City, mm-hmm. but then you also sell at some businesses too. That's correct. I sell in the Claire at Artworks, I sell at Quad City Arts, and they've, we've, I've had some shows with them, with Quad City Arts, and they've been great. They've showed my work forever, and there, it's on display there, and Let's see, where else? Um, once in a while I have pieces in, in a car in Iowa City, and depending on the shows, they're... A car, them. now that's A-K-A-R, that's a... That's right. That's a um, really beautiful, very modern design um, store in downtown Iowa City that, that does feature a lot of different uh, sculptors and ceramic artists. Yeah, and it's really interesting if you're out and about in Iowa City, you should go in there because... Um, the work is from all over the United States, and it's quality. These potters are very prominent, and they're potters that I would look for, be people that I would love to study with. So I, I look at the work in there, and then I think, oh well, gosh, she's teaching at, at there's a number of art centers around the United States that you can go and take classes, and it's really that's where people get their information and. 
So it's interesting. Yeah, it really sounds like it's been a lifelong learning process, and and it's you know, pretty much yeah. Yeah, and the story behind how you became a potter is really interesting. And you know, it's sometimes it starts with pivotal people in our lives who've who shaped and influenced us. And you'd mentioned before Carl Christensen, but when you were even younger, you. Um, really were influenced by this by a woman Barbara Priester that's correct she was just in our neighborhood and our families were all friends so you just never know who's going to influence you and we'd go over and have picnics and things and she was potter so she's very she also was a printmaker and and an elderly woman in she was still working all the way up to Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I love the idea that you were self-taught, that you learned from all these different people. When you went to college, you actually were not an art major, um, Mm. but you continued to take ceramics classes at night and then really continued your education reading on your own. It's, it is uh, really impressive what you, what you can do. Um, If you have the interest in, in anything that you're, um, well, that you've, brought you like going wow when you're just checking out different shows or television or whatever I mean if you think you can do something you can do it I mean it's just amazing what you can do what brings you the biggest joy in your work um oh it's just so much fun I I'm very passionate about clay and every time I sit down and work with clay it's not it's not really like a chore for me. I enjoy every minute. And there's always something new you can learn, which that's probably why I'm so interested in it and all the different clay bodies because because I feel like I've never, ever really, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm advanced in any of it, but people would say, oh, my gosh, you know. But there's always something that I can use to grow with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Sally Gierke, thank you so much for talking today. Okay, well, thanks you so much for having me. Of course. And, and the, Riversons, <laughs> the Riversons Festival of Fine Arts is being held this coming weekend, Saturday, September 15th from 10 to 5. Come on by. Absolutely. And on Sunday, <laughs> September 16th from 10 to 4 at Lindsay Park in the village of East Davenport, you will find over 90 top regional artists there. So check out the art, food, wine tasting and live music, and stop by Sally Gerke's tent to say hello. Please do. It'd be fun to meet you. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.